0: Welcome to Bible study. This is Nikrita, your host. Very happy to be with you today again. Thank you for tuning in. I would really like to encourage you to stay with us for the whole hour because this will be a very interesting topic today. And uh, we are going to learn a little bit more about what that means, Sabbath rest. I will welcome our panel for today. Good to have you with us, Ken. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here again.
1: Looking forward to another very interesting topic on this Sabbath rest.
0: And Len, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your welcome. And hello, listeners. Joe, thank you for being part of this panel.
2: You're welcome. And hello, Nick. And hello, everyone. Good to be here.
0: Will, thank you for joining us also. It's a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Nick. And Ligia. It's good to have you with us.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. It's a blessing for me to be part of the Bible study.
0: And Brenton, thank you for uh, coming with us today. We wouldn't be able to do it without you because you are the one who uh, put together this Bible study and facilitating
4: today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's an absolute uh, pleasure to be able to study this subject together. Because the COVID-19 times in which we live, I believe, are um, people have anything other than rest at the moment. There is so much stress in the world at the present time that uh, I believe the subject we're going to study today, Sabbath rest, will be beneficial not only to ourselves as a panel but also to those who are listening to this program, Nick. But before we do anything further, I'd like Joe to pray for us because we really do crave the um unction of the Holy Spirit as we study this subject together. Thank you, Joe.
2: Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you will please be with us as we share thoughts and study the Bible on this very important topic, relevant topic for today of the Sabbath. Give us insight into the delights of the true Sabbath and please send your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts in Jesus' name.
4: Amen. Mm. amen. One of the things that um, our study, as I've just commented on before prayer, is that I would like to focus today on the rest that the Sabbath brings as it applies to specific situations. First of all, creation, then in the liberation of people from physical and spiritual bondage, and how ultimately the Sabbath is a sign to those who keep it that they are God's special possession. And I believe that there is not one of us, either the panel or listeners, that don't want to be classed as God's special people. And I'm sure God has a special message for us today. He really wants us to understand this subject. He wants us to understand this Sabbath rest that he has set aside for us if we will approach him and, and seek it. But to begin our study for today... I went right back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, and also a comment in Genesis 2.15. Genesis, as we all know, was written by Moses, and I believe that any time you discuss the subject of the Sabbath, it has to be based upon, first of all, its foundation. When was it first given? And the Bible records that it was first given at creation. Will, I wondered if you would like to read Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and two fifteen, and maybe comment briefly on several things that are brought out in those texts. Thank you, Will.
5: Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2 verse 15 says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. We see clearly here, Brenton and panel and listener, that man was privileged to be made in God's image. I guess that's both in outward resemblance and in character. Of course, this image has been marred, and uh, perhaps the panel could comment on that, Brenton.
4: Yeah, thank you, Will. Um, I appreciate your comments on that. In what sense, um, panel, do you see our characters as reflecting the character of God. We live in a world that I think we all would agree, and our listeners would also agree, that our world is not getting better. Mankind's character is not improving. It's deteriorating at an alarming rate. In what ways do we reflect God's character? And there are a couple of texts here that perhaps shed a little bit of light on it. Paul talks about what we were like before we knew Christ and what we were like after we met Christ, I wonder, Len, would you be able to read Galatians 5.19 and also compare it with Galatians 5.22 and 23, just to give us a little bit of a stimulus as to if we were created in God's image, as it says, and we believe that it that's both outward resemblance and also character. But I'd like to focus just on the character bit at the moment, because none of us have actually seen God. So if we can perhaps look at those couple of texts, Len, I'm very happy for you to share your thoughts on it and any any of the panel members, maybe while Len is reading this, you can be thinking about the difference between what a man's character was like before Christ came and God's amazing grace was poured out and what it was like after.
6: Okay, well, we have a contrast presented here in Galatians chapter 5. The contrast is between those who live according to their sinful natures and then we have a look at the other side, of those who live according to the will of God. So here is what the Apostle Paul has written about people who live according to their sinful natures. In other words, the natural man. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then the apostle says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he starts the next bit with the word but. But is a conjunction, but it presents the opposite view. And then he talks about the people who live according to the will of God. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he makes a comment against such things, there is no law. And then he talks about those who belong to Christ Jesus and they are some of the characteristics I just read. Okay. Mm. Man left to his own devices is not a very nice creature. (laughs) True. (laughs) However, when God or the Spirit of God enters a person, There is a change, and I've known people, they've been downright rotters. Um, I know one personally right now at this moment who used to be on drugs and do all kinds of weird stuff, but he's become a beautiful person since. So man is really to reflect the nature of God, but as most of you would know, An enemy came into this world and corrupted all the good things that God had made. Now, one other little aspect I'd like to speak about here is this. Man made in the image of God is to do, as far as possible, the works of God. And man was put in charge of ruling this planet. Not to exploit it, but to rule it, to make sure that uh, not only the uh, fauna, but the flora too is cared for. But, of course, man's sinful nature has exploited the environment and we have some terrible messes these days. I won't go any further with this because uh, we have other things to study. But nevertheless, man is to reflect what God is like.
4: Yes, thank you, Len. Um, Will you had a thought, and then Ken.
5: Originally made in God's image, um, and having our image, that image spoiled by sin, the Holy Spirit uh, has been sent to transform man. You know, it's a serious situation to think of how man has changed, as uh, Len has said. I recall that Martin Luther said in his Reformation teaching, I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. Yes. Which tells me that uh, man's most dangerous enemy is himself. And God can only bring back that, that image of God uh, in man by, uh, by prayer and by submission.
4: Thank you. Ken, you had a thought for us as well.
5: I just
1: wanted to make
5: a comment on one of the
1: mind fruits, the spirit that Lane spoke of, and that is kindness. As you yes. mentioned uh, uh, sorry, um, a moment ago, this world at the minute is a complete disaster and there's so many terrible things going on. And one of the main issues, I believe, of course, is that so many people today, it's all about me, 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 and they don't think of other, and kindness true Christians, of course, where they can, they will show kindness to the other, and uh, I think that's an important thing because so many people have got such a load of, uh, su- such a weight on their mind of problems they're facing today. True. Show some kindness to them in some small way. I think it just, it may help their spirits.
4: That's a that's a good thought. Um, going back to what... um. Will read the second section that he read. He read Genesis 1.26. We talked about dominion, and um, Len briefly touched upon that. That dominion changed. If you look at Genesis 9, verse 2, you'll find that after the flood, God said that the fear of man would be upon all beasts. In other words, the relationship with the animals before and God's other creation before the flood was different to that afterward. and I don't really want to go into a great deal of detail there, but it's worth some study. Maybe we could all spend a bit of time contrasting those two verses. But in Genesis 2.15, there were two words that God used um, in regard to man that was put in the Garden of Eden. They were the words tend and keep. Are there any comments from our panel on what uh, you see the, what you see as being the significance of those words? Remember in Genesis one twenty six twenty seven, 27, he's having dominion over all the animals and all the creation that he has made worldwide. But in Genesis two fifteen, he's specifically talking about the Garden of Eden, which was to be Adam and Eve's home, and said that uh, they were to tend and keep it. Are there any thoughts on that one? Thank you, uh, Len.
6: As God is our example... And he cares for us. Man is to be the example to the rest of nature. Yes. who care for it. Yes. So I think of the fact that we've had a beautiful part of nature dwelling with us for a long time. We had this lovely border collie. It was a beautiful dog. And it accepted us and our ways And I think part of the reason it was a beautiful dog is because it was cared for by my wife and myself and we really cared for it. And this is perhaps a little example of how it should be on a worldwide scale. Man should care for the environment, not to exploit it.
4: Yeah. Isn't it sad that in some people's eyes, Christians are considered to be amongst those people who, uh, shall we say, the least... Careful in looking after God's environment. When in actual fact, I believe we should be front and centre in looking after the environment that God has um, uh, given us. Joe, do you have any thoughts on this matter?
2: Yes, I do actually. Thank you. Um, apart, for, apart from apart uh, from man being given custodianship over the environment, um, there's also there's there's a, a danger that, you know, at, that the beauty of the nature. That God is the beautiful, the beautiful world that God has given us could also supplant or usurp, displace God in the affections of humans. And yes. so we, you know, we come, we know that humans, um, when they reject God, often worship nature as a, yes. as a substitute, you know, rocks or nature's spirits, images, sculptures fashioned in the image. We know this has been a problem throughout scriptures. Uh, so nature needs to remain in its proper sphere. And of course, uh, it's not to be worshipped because, um, in the place of the true God, um, because we, you know, it is said that one will not reach above what one aspires to. Yes. And so um, it would be, you know, on on the other hand, man could worship himself, not just nature, but himself. And so then we have these self styled uh, gurus, you know, who see themselves as gods or goddesses or finding the you know, the God within them.
4: Yes.
2: (laughs) And that too can have devastating effects, particularly if you put them in a position of power, you know, such as dictatorships and cult leaders. But I think nature in its proper sphere was there for man's benefit, uh, for the world, for the global benefit of animals Mm -hmm. and humans. And so it needs to be in the right place. And man is being given dominion in the sense of um like being a custodian rather than exploiting, as I think you have yeah. mentioned yourself.
4: Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Lydia, you had some thoughts for
3: us. When God created man in his own image, he finished the touch of the humans to a perfection creation. So I think God placed into the, of our core, an instinct to to love the nature, to care for the nature, and to work and to preserve, because it was part the Garden of Eden was part of the of the creation was like into the nature into the DNA of the person. Mm, this yes. is how God created people, but yeah. the sin was the one who destroyed everything.
4: Yeah, Lygia, you've touched on a good point there. Uh, it has been shown, and I think um, I have read somewhere that studies have been done, is that the, there seems to be in man a desire to worship. It seems to have been placed in man. You use the term in their DNA. I'm not going to um, argue with that. I think that's that's a fair comment. But you know what? If we don't worship God, the God of creation, we worship something else. And really there are only two options, Joe touched on it when she said people worship things, but they also worship themselves. We live in a very self-involved society. So I would suggest to you that the time is, is rapidly approaching where people will either be worshipping the true God as revealed in nature or they will be worshipping themselves in whatever philosophies or formats that are actually brought to bear. Any other thoughts on that? Lynn, you had your hand up. In fact, there's hands going up everywhere.
6: <laughs> yes, I'd just like to summarise what Lydia said. Sure. I, I really appreciate what she said. And she this is how good. I see it. God made this, cre- made this world, and he said to man, you look after it. Mm-hmm. But he also made provision, and we'll be studying this later on, where man himself is to benefit from something that God had made. So God made it, you look after it, but besides that, God provided something else for man's
4: benefit. Yeah, that's a good thought. Before we come to some other comments, let's just remember that what you said, Len, is so true. God made it. Ultimately, however it is used or abused by man, there needs to be a recognition that God made it in the first place and therefore our ultimate responsibility or accountability which is a word that we hear a lot about today, the the ultimate accountability of mankind is to the creator who made this in the first place and gave it to him to use, not misuse or abuse, to use for the benefit not only of mankind but also for the animal world and the plant world as well. Ken, you had some thoughts for us.
1: Yeah, I I just wanted to point (laughs) something out along the lines of what uh, Len was saying, that this... earth. This earth was uh, made not for God, it was made for mankind, and everything that was put on and in the earth was made for the benefit of mankind. Yes. A very important warning in Revelation 11 and 19, that's our verse 19, that says that God will destroy those who destroy the earth. Man's pride, greed, power, and exploration destroys the earth's natural resources. So we're, it's very important that mankind should look after what is actually his home.
4: That's a good thought, Ken. good thought. Um, did I see some other hands, Nick? And I think, Joe, you had your hand up too. Yes, we are talking
0: today in the context of uh, Sabbath rest. And even yes. though the discussion is, you know, going into this direction, uh, how we relate to God's creation, I would like to say that uh, in, and it was mentioned already by quite a few of you that man's instinct after the fall in a sinful nature it's always to do different than God asked yes men to behave and to to uh, follow God and to do things, and we are not different today than uh, any other times in history when um, mankind was just working against god's plan now it was raised up uh, quite significantly you know the issue of how we should uh, care and look after the uh, The environment environment and Mm. nature i would like to point out something here different all through the history of humankind god prompted us to look after environment and everything else. And uh, Len mentioned about his lovely dog and so on and so forth. In the end of the days, which I believe we are living in, God said that he will come and he will destroy the earth and everything else. And the aim and concentration of humankind today is to save the planet, rather to save people. Because I believe today we live in a time when God is asking us to concentrate for the salvation of humankind, to reach out to those people who don't know anything about God, who worship all things or anything. And I believe because there are lots of good people in this world trying to save this planet, I believe, which I'm not saying that we should uh, misbehave. In the way we treating the everything what's around us, but I be, I believe the primarily call for us is to share the gospel, the good news that many people will not perish but be saved in the kingdom of God, where everything will be renewed. Because God said, and this is the paradoxal approach of humankind. When God says, "I will destroy," man said, "I will save." When God says you should look after the environment men didn't care that's a good thought um
4: joe
2: when god created this world it's a, a, on a different um, direction to what nick was saying he created the perfect medium for worshiping god it was the perfect environment um the forest is you know uh is is the perfect cathedral and it so is. This, yes. the natural setting we know that from scripture you know, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the evening with their Lord. So I think to tie that in with creation and the Sabbath, I think some of the the best moments of a Sabbath could be spent out in nature. Um, yes. and I think God's voice is often clearest away from the din and the noise of um, society and the pressures of work and yeah, televisions blaring and radios and, you know, all the rah, rah, rah in in the background. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that that God created this perfect medium. He created the world. It is our home. But it's also a way to um, enhance and facilitate our communion with him.
4: I believe, Joe, that it is actually very important. Uh, Moving on with our study, one of the topics we were looking at in regard to the Sabbath, we have established so far this, We've established that God created Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion over the, um, the creation that he had made. He also put them in the garden to tend and keep it. And one of the suggestions on the keeping it is to guard it. Uh, the, the Hebrew word is shamar for that. But moving on in our study, we find that the Sabbath is also a symbol of liberation, Um, the liberation from what and joe i wondered if you would share with us an incident that jesus recorded or that luke recorded about jesus ministry on the sabbath in luke chapter 13 verse 10 to 16 and uh, if you would like to read that for us then we have a couple of questions that we can share with our panel yes
2: uh brenton on the sabbath Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her?
4: Okay, so that leads to some questions. What type of bondage do you believe Joe she was in? was it just physical obviously she's bent over there's no dispute on the fact that physically she was deformed she was bent over but is it is the um bondage deeper than that
2: absolutely because we have to understand that you know anyone who was suffering any Disease or ill fortune was considered cursed of God. So she may have borne this, um, this burden of that I am rejected of God. I am being punished by God with this inability to straighten out, crippled, scoliosis, whatever she had. And she had been like this for 18 long years. And imagine the pain and discomfort. So, She would have had inner turmoil as well, thinking, now what had I done to deserve this? And maybe it's the sins of my fathers or or my family that have come to bear upon me. So she would have had to endure scorn from those around her as well as her own questionings, inner questionings.
4: Jo, that's a good thought. And here's something else to think about while we're considering this particular example. She has been attending the synagogue for 18 years with this ailment it seems to me that neither the synagogue ruler or the Pharisees or anybody have done anything to help her. So what does that tell you about how they see the Sabbath? They don't see the Sabbath in terms of um, liberating. Christ is showing them what the Sabbath is here. I mean, if she's bent over for 18 years and Christ has told her to come on Monday and be healed on Monday, he could have done that. But I think he's trying to demonstrate here very clearly that the Sabbath is a liberating experience. It's liberating from the effects of sin, which is demonstrated in the fact that she's bent over because he uses the term, doesn't he, that whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should not this woman be loosed? on the sabbath day any other thoughts from uh, panel members
2: can i just yeah no that no you,
4: you go right ahead
2: that, <laughs> and um, then Nick. When, Thanks. when the synagogue leader spoke i almost <laughs> sensed that he was targeting speaking to her like yes. there are six days for work so come and be healed on one of those days like, one of those days here? why yes. did you come here today um you know Don't, you know, and not on the Sabbath. You know, you could have come any day of the week, but you chose to come here today and break the Sabbath, you know. This was his attitude, and I feel that he addressed her with, he addressed, spoke to her directly. Yeah,
4: yeah.
0: Thank you. Nick? I was just going to say that, um, as you pointed out, Brenton, the result of all those sicknesses which Jesus came across, it was sin, and the main purpose of Jesus was to come and liberate yes, human beings under the bondage of sin. Yes. Now, we may debate or saying that not everyone who's sick is a sinful person, but uh, to be honest, we must accept that we are all sinners, <laughs> regardless of if we are healthy or if mm-hmm. we are sick. We yes. are all sinful. But Jesus was working through all these situations. Mm-hmm. To bring the point, before, particularly before the teachers of the law, who are supposed to know what to do in regard of sin, yes, in right. regard of all mm. the behavior of yeah. people, either if it's in synagogue, if yes. it's on a Sabbath day, if it's on any other day of the week. Because too often, even today, Christians are regarded as Christians of a day of the week, let's say, or whatever day they go yes. to church or to the temple or whatever, rather than the seven days of, of the week. And I believe this is where we can have some misunderstanding in regard how Jesus treated the Holy Sabbath, because yes. many people will say that he broke the Sabbath, and the, the Jewish leaders said the same thing that he broke the Sabbath, which I believe is not true because Jesus never broke the Sabbath and Jesus never broke any commandments
4: of God. Mm. Yeah, good thoughts, guys. Um, one of the things before we move on is is this, I believe. Whilst he never said specifically in the example, Joe, that you read, your sins are forgiven to the woman, the fact that he healed her implies that he had forgiven her sins. And the fact that she was healed of her ailment, if you followed the Pharisees' thinking, it logically follows that if you're healed of your ailment, you must also be healed of your sin. So the Sabbath, we need to recognize that in Romans 6, it talks about this. I'm not going to turn to it in great detail, but verse 7 of Romans 6 said that he who has died has been freed from sin. It's using the metaphor of baptism, what takes place when a person is baptized. They are dipped under the water. They participate in Christ's death, burial and resurrection. When they rise from the water, they start a new life in Christ. And that is um, another aspect of the liberation that I believe the Sabbath brings. We're going to look at a topic now that is mentioned in the Ten Commandments, the stranger within your gates. There was a statement made about this. It says this, uh, when um, Israel left Egypt, they not only went themselves, there was a significant number of people who left with them. They're known in the Bible sometimes as the mixed multitude. They constituted a number of different groups of people, primarily people who were Egyptian and who believed, as a result of the ten plagues that God had poured out on uh, Egypt, that Israel's God indeed was the true God. And therefore, they wanted to escape the effects of the plagues by leaving Egypt with the Israelites. And then you had the others who maybe just wanted to get away from the effects of everything. They didn't necessarily believe in Israel's God, but they were sick and tired of putting up with all the plagues that were taking place, so they left with them as well. And the comment is made this, the mixed multitude that accompanied Israel from Egypt were not permitted to occupy the same Quarters with the tribes, but were to abide on the outskirts of the camp and their offspring were to be excluded from the community until the third generation. Lydia, if you would be kind enough to read Deuteronomy 23, seven and eight for us and maybe briefly comment on it.
3: Yes. In the Bible, it says, do not abhor an Edomite for he is your brother. Do not abhor an Egyptian because you lived as an alien in his country, the third generation of children, both to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. We have an instruction here given by the Lord to the Israelites. Uh, And uh, if we read a few verses before, it says that no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation.
4: That's true. Yes,
3: and here it's in the in verse four of the chapter twenty-third. It says why, for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Balaam son of Beor from Petor in Aram Naharaim to pronounce a curse on you. However. The Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. And we have here in um, Nehemiah, mentioned by the prophet Nehemiah in Nehemiah 13, exactly the same thing. Why? Because as you said, Brendan, people from Egypt, they... Joined the Israelites to get out of there, regard of their reasons, but they were not a holy nation. Sure. And, uh, in Deuteronomy 23rd verse 14, it says that your camp must be holy for the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy so that He will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. So probably these people, the Egyptians, they didn't keep the Sabbath. They still worshiped their own gods. And uh, uh, maybe they were wicked people. And because of that, God wanted to keep his people holy in their assembly and not to be tempted to do that wicked things that the Egyptians were doing. And uh, there is a commentary in the Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 103, which it says, For 200 years, Israel had found a home in Egypt. They had enjoyed protection and sustenance in a time of terrible famine. Later came persecution, and yet God would not have his people see only the evil side of a nation's character and dwell only on it. In the third generation, the descendants of an Edomite or an Egyptian were allowed all the privileges of God's people upon being circumcised. So it means in the third generation, people will grow up and will accustomed with the Israelites' life, and they will turn to God and worship the Lord in the third generation. And because of that, God allowed the third generation to uh, go into the assembly of God.
4: Sure,
0: Nick. Yeah, we, very quickly I want to say here because I believe this is important. This, this Egyptian, is very important. These yeah. Egyptians, they were, if you like, um, given privileges from god because the god's people were in egypt for that period of time over 400 years and they were protected and they were looked after and now even though these egyptians may not understand exactly the way god expect his people to behave god instructed his people to accept them and to be a light for them yes then in into a Two or three generations, they may be able really to see who God is, and they will turn themselves to God. The reason I'm saying this is important, because today, many Christians, they cut themselves from other people which are not in in synchronized with their way of thinking or yeah. doing things. But God is saying, hey, I'm not saying to you, and Jesus himself said, I'm not praying to take them out of this world, but to protect them from the, uh, you know, sinful uh, approach of this world, But we are called to accept people and to be a light for them, that they may come to God and not to be perfect, like as God asked us to be, because God asked
4: his people sure. to, to live in that light. Mm, that is true. Um, it's interesting uh, in reflecting on this particular thing, as you know, it's found within the fourth commandment. It's actually found in uh, where God says um, in six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, their manservant nor their maidservant nor thy cattle nor the stranger that is within thy gates. Um, I think that's uh, pretty powerful that God has set aside the Sabbath for the benefit of everybody not just those who are um, Jews, but for all people. Ken, looking at the Sabbath from another aspect, still looking at it through these eyes, but a little bit different, what does Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7 tell us? Also the sons of the stranger that join
1: themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath, from polluting it, and take the hold of my covenant. And in seven, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now, I believe this, uh, uh, particularly verse 7 That last sentence. It's a
4: powerful one, isn't it, Ken?
1: Yes, absolutely. My Mm. house, God's house, shall be called a house of prayer for all people. It doesn't state for the Israelites, for the, the tribes of Judah or any of the other 10, 12 tribes. It says a house of prayer for all people. So God is saying that if you follow his ways and keep the Sabbath, that you will be welcome in the house of the Lord irrespective of what your background is or what tribe you come from or what country you come from.
4: Yeah, that's interesting, Ken. Uh, Thank you for reading that. Isn't it sad that the Jews failed to recognise that the blessings of the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest that we're talking about today, was actually available to everybody? It seems as though by the time Christ came along, they wanted to keep it all to themselves. They didn't see that it was... Necessary for the heathen, as they call them, or the Gentiles to actually have this. And yet God is trying to show here very, very clearly, my Sabbath rest is global in its extent. Lydia. Uh,
3: yes. And uh, just to complete whatever Ken said, uh, in verse, uh, in Isaiah 56, verse 8, it says, the sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them. Besides those already gathered. So there is a promise.
4: It's a promise, Lydia. Exactly. From, from it's our a promise. Yeah. One of the other aspects of uh, um, the Sabbath rest is serving others on God's Sabbath day. And Lena is going to share with us a section of scripture from John chapter 5. Thank you, Len. I'll pass it over to you and I'm happy for you to make a comment on it because there is an interesting verse there, verse 17, which Len will share with us, that we need to unpack a little bit and share. Mm
6: -hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to just use my own words.
4: By all means.
6: Mm -hmm. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem to attend one of the Jewish feasts, and while there he was at a place called Bethesda, which was a pool where apparently the water used to bubble at certain times and people believed that if they managed to get in the pool while it was bubbling, they would be healed of their maladies. So it was yes. gathered around this pool and there were there was sort of colonnades around it. There was a shelter around it. It was a special place. There were these people, lie, blind and lame and all sorts of disabled people. And Jesus was there, and he spotted a a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. He was lame. He couldn't walk. And Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? Well, he didn't (laughs) answer quite directly. He said, sir, I, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool to get healed. Now, I'll tell you what Jesus didn't say. He right. didn't say, come and see me at 10 o'clock on Wednesday and I'll fix you up. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He healed him straight away. And I think there's a lesson in this for everybody. When there's an opportunity to help somebody who's really in difficult circumstances, we shouldn't put it off. We should do it straight away. Yes. Um, and Jesus healed him straight away. Uh, so he healed him Jesus said to him Get up Pick up your mat And walk And at once He got up And he walked Jesus disappeared He mingled with the crowd And anyhow Later this man Was down at the Temple I think it was Yes he was And the Jews Came to him And said Hey 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 um, Or he must have been Near the temple How come you are Walking around Carrying your mat On the Sabbath This is a no 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 And he said, well, the man who healed me told me to take my mat and walk And they said, well, who told you? He said, I don't know Well, the matter rested for a little while Then later at the temple, and this man was probably there praising God For his healing, Jesus saw him And he said to him, see, you are well again Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, we won't comment on that at this stage, but the man went and he said, and I found the man who healed me. It was Jesus. Mm. All right. It was. Well, they probably would have known that anyhow because nobody else could heal like Jesus. So they came and attacked him. Attacked him. I don't mean physically attacked him, but verbally attacked him. And Jesus said something rather interesting. Verse 17 of John 5, he says, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am a- I- I'm working. All right. Now, this is not an excuse for any of us to use the Sabbath for working. And I realize there are some essential services, and uh, I think that in itself is doing good. But Jesus was saying, now, look, you're having a go at me for working, but the God who you claim to be worshipped uh, is working. Just imagine if God switched off the sun on the Sabbath, how would we get on? Would the That's day right. be a delight, a pleasure? Or if God said, well, I've been sustaining life on this planet. Uh, I'm going to switch off life for, for a day each week. God accepts people uh, when they confess their sins. God forgives on the Sabbath. He accepts praise on the Sabbath and things like that. So Jesus said, my father works and I works. Actually, this was Jesus saying in a roundabout way that he was divine. He wasn't just human. Yes, he he was. was one of the re- one of the 31 reasons that Jesus came to this earth is to restore humanity to what it w- should have been like it was back at creation so here Jesus healed this man and the man was able to praise God forever afterwards and live a good righteous life what a good thing to happen even though it was the sabbath
4: I think that's a very positive thing, Len. And this 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 comment that I found interesting. The demands upon God are even greater upon the Sabbath than upon other days. His people then leave their usual employment and spend the time in meditation and worship. You have clarified that situation, Len, by saying that there is necessary work to be done, particularly in maintaining people on that day. Um, What the commandment talks about is what we call secular work work that we are benefiting from. It says they ask more of him on the Sabbath, that's us, than upon other days. They demand his special attention. They crave his chosen blessings. God does not wait for the Sabbath to pass before he grants these requests. Heaven's work never ceases and men should never rest from doing good. The Sabbath is not intended to be a period of useless inactivity. The law forbids secular labor on the rest day of the Lord. The toil that gains a livelihood must cease. No labour for worldly pleasure or profit is lawful upon that day. But as God ceased his labour of creating and rested upon the Sabbath and blessed it, so man is to leave the occupations of his daily life and devote these sacred hours to healthful rest, to worship and to holy deeds. The work of Christ in healing the sick was in perfect accord with the law. It honoured the Sabbath. What a wonderful statement, I think, uh, in regard to this this matter. Finally, we are looking at the subject of the sign that we belong to God as revealed from some statements in Exodus 31. And I wonder, Nick, would you be able to read those for us, please? Exodus 31, verse 13, and also verse 16 and 17, and then uh, perhaps briefly comment on it, Uh, Thank you, Brenton. And just before that,
0: because mentioning about the um, story, the pool of Bethesda, you know, I wonder, uh, Brenton and panel, why hasn't been spoken any words about those people who could jump into the pool, uh, you know, every day and probably on Sabbath day too, who knows, Uh, but this poor man, He was not able to go into the pool on the Sabbath the day Jesus was around that place and he didn't miss the opportunity. And that's why it's important, because we should not miss the opportunity. We should not say like, we have some other things, but I will come to that later on. We should seize the opportunity when we can speak Good words to people, words of encouragement, words of uh, whatever is needed for their benefit and salvation. But Nick, when a,
4: be, be, before you read it, Nick, instead, then, could we say, Nick, that instead of seeing the Sabbath as a legalistic requirement, which is how some Christians tend to view the Sabbath, mm-hmm. we should view the Sabbath as a golden opportunity to be able to minister to mankind? Absolutely. In the physical, the spiritual, and the emotional, I believe that's the overall, the overarching business of what the Sabbath was given for. Anyway, if you'd like to share these yes. texts with us, thank you. I agree with that.
0: Uh, verse 13 uh, from um, Exodus chapter 31 says, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And verse 16, 17, continues, uh, Brenton, and says this, Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, what is important here, Yeah. talk about the fourth commandment, you know, yes, in, in, it is. In, in this passage here. Yes, now, it is. the fourth commandment is valid today, part of God's law. And also, people can argue. This was only for the Jews. This was a promise to Israel as a Jewish nation. But when that, uh, and we preach that, that um, they lost their favor with God after, you know, Jesus' crucifixion and after the stoning of Stephen, you know. And we may say, hey, okay, after that, you see, then there was no need of the Sabbath to be kept. But that's not the point, because we are all a seed of Abraham, even if not through the blood, you know, but through faith, we are all Israelites spiritually. And this is the promise from God that he will take care of us and he will bless us. But we need to do our part also to respect what God was asking Mm -hmm. us to do. And I believe this is so important. We can go on and on on this one uh, more about how important is The Sabbath rest for Mm. us all, because it's in our favor, not because God just had had the thing there and say, "Okay, I want you to do what I want, what I say." No, God points out that this is in our favor for our healing. Sure,
4: He does indeed. Ken, you had a thought for us.
1: I just wanted to quickly mention and and, uh, uh, reiterate again just what Nick said about this. Sabbath rest is for all people sometimes yes. I believe many people today they read the Bible and think "Oh, that's, that rest and keeping the Sabbath is just for the Israelites or the people of that time but as we read uh, a few moments ago God's house is a house for all people of the whole entire world and there's not one law for, for the Israelites and one law for everybody else
4: Good it's thought, yes. for all of us irrespective of, of uh, where you come from Yeah, that's a good thought. And and you might remember when Nick read verses 16 and 17, even though he was saying it was a sign between him and the Israelites. Now, this is important. What does he refer back to? He doesn't refer back to Sinai. He refers back to creation. Mm. Now, that's significant. No Jews around in the time of creation. God says, the reason you are my special people and I've designated you so is that you are going to worship me on the day that I have set aside. But I'm reminding you, I didn't give you this day at Sinai. This day was given way back when mankind was created in the first event. In conclusion, I'd like to say this, just to to wrap up our study for today. I know it's it's travelled over various parts of the Bible. We started in Genesis. We ended up in John. Uh, we had a look at other things in between. Then we were back to Exodus, and then we were over to uh, Isaiah and other portions of Scripture as well. Romans got a mention as well about the liberation from uh, the slavery of sin. But in conclusion, I'd like to say this, and this is something that I would like to offer as a gift to our listeners, no other day offers this rest from labour, from sin, from a focus on ourselves and a focus on others that the Sabbath does. There is a reason why God, I believe, asked us to keep the Sabbath holy and refrain from our activity on that holy day. You will not find that mentioned on any other day of the week. God's special day is the time that he wants to spend with us. He wants us to get to know him better. He wants us to appreciate more greatly, his creative power, but I believe he also wants us to rest in him. And Hebrews 4, verse 9 and 10, which I'm not going to read, I'll just summarise it. It says there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. God offers you this rest today. And my appeal is this. To our listeners and to us as a panel, won't we accept his loving offer? And maybe for some of our listeners, this could be the first Sabbath that they have made a decision to keep God's holy Sabbath day, to really receive this rest that we've talked about today. If they do, I believe they will be multiply repaid. The effort required to keep the Sabbath maybe for the first time for you may be a new experience but I believe it will bring you closer to the Lord and I believe it will be repaid many, many times over. Len, I wondered if you would close with prayer for us, please.
6: Certainly, and I invite you to join me in prayer, listeners. Our dear Father in heaven, we recognise that you made the Sabbath to be a blessing to mankind and in that, that we are to appreciate the good God who cares for us, who sustains us. We also recognize that it is a a day of restoration, a day wherein we come to you and think about the things of God, and also where we recognize our part in uh, reaching and restoring other people who are lost. So we pray, Lord, that we won't have this um, attitude toward the Sabbath that We uh, are legalistic in it, but the fact that we reach out to people and that they too can enjoy the blessings which we have. Thank you, Father, for this study today, and we ask these things and give you praise in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for your participation today. Indeed, we spent a bit of time uh, over the last couple of programs in regard to the Sabbath uh, rest. But we are inviting you, dear listener, to join us again next time when we are going to learn a little bit more. longing for more. And just to throw to you a couple of the uh, little topics we are going to approach uh, next time. Baptized into Moses, rituals and sacrifices, the example of rest. But one which I like to deal with is harden not your hearts. And then conquering the heavenly city that I believe will be a very exciting one to learn about how to get ourselves into that wonderful heavenly city. May God richly bless you and until next time. Continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.